Church, go ahead and turn your Bibles. That is Exodus 23. Exodus 23. And if you could, um, I'm going to be a few places, but um, I want you to put your tassel as we are in our Lord's Supper today. Um, we're going to flow into that at the very end, but we're going to flow into it very quickly. And so I want your tassel, if you could, in Luke 22. So no matter how old you are, if you are here with us and you have ears and eyes, okay, I want you to have the Bible open. Kids, Bible open. Have it open to Exodus 23 and put a tassel in Luke 22. And so this morning, where we will be is really looking at our Lord's Supper. As I said, this is our observance of the Lord's Supper. We're going to be doing this together, and we're going to be teaching about the Lord's Supper really through the eyes of the men and women who came before us. And so if you're a visitor in the church or just forget every week where we are, we are in Exodus. And so we have been in Exodus faithfully, not a week missed since January 1. And so what we're going to be doing is, is really their, their Lord's Supper was the Passover. And so what we're going to be doing is, is looking at that concept of remembering our salvation and glorifying God for his grace and mercy through the eyes and the life of the men and women who walked before us, continuing in that illustration of God the perfect Father. And so as I said, if you have forgotten where we are each week, we've found ourselves in the book of the covenant. Remember, um, the Ten Commandments is God's bird's eye view on life. And then he takes those Ten Commandments and he fleshes them out in the book of the covenant. And we see how we should apply the Ten Commandments into our everyday life. And so what you have is this beautiful picture of God, the perfect father, walking with these newly freed children of his in life. And so what does God call them to? We've been in this for about five weeks. God, the perfect father, calls them to new life. I have saved you. You have been given grace. Now show that grace to other people. We've been called to new life. We've been called to order. God is perfectly balanced. He is the Father who is graceful, but He is also the Father who is perfect discipline. God calls us to maturity. He disciples us. Last week, God the Father calls us to be different. Do you remember the message last week where where God the Father is talking to His children? He says, if you live the way that I am showing you to live, as you get older in faith... There are going to be many people who do not live this way. And the children say, who? And God the Father says, many. He calls us to be different. And then this week, he calls us to remembrance. And so I want you to see God's word in Exodus 23. Hey, baby, bring your, bring your Bible up here. Axel, you're going to pray for us? we got kids doing all kinds of stuff today. So I'll tell you a funny little story. This is my daughter, Lennon. You can stay up here with me. I'm not going to ask you to talk. Axel, come here, buddy. Axel has tracked me down for weeks saying, can I please pray, okay? So hold that real quick, buddy, and let me tell my funny story before you start singing, okay? And so this is, this is my daughter, Lennon, okay, who's hiding behind the podium. She found this precious moment of the Bible um, at, at uh, Goodwill, and she came home, and this was gold to her. And she just uh, carried this thing around. She was so proud of this Bible. And so we are walking outside to go to church this morning, and she runs to me last minute, and she goes, Hey, Dad, do me a favor. Preach out of this Bible today. And I said, Hey, baby, um, I got all my notes and everything kind of ready in my mind. It's hard enough, um, but I promise you that I will read from it, okay? And so we're going to read... A few verses in Exodus, and then my man Axel here, I'm going to be a man of my word, and he's going to pray for us. So look at God's word in Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 through 13. 
And so it says, six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. And the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In the like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall may rest. And the sons of your female servants and the strangers may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Let's pray and Axel pray us into this service. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Here you go, baby. So for all my other kids out there, if I start stumbling up here and I get nervous, I might just call you up here to finish it up, okay? <clears throat> so look at Exodus 23. Look at Exodus 23. Will you highlight, we're going to get there in a second, but will you highlight verse 11? Especially where it says, in like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive groves. One thing that we see in parenting um, from our heavenly father all the way to our earthly ones. Is one thing that we see in parenting is what the parent deems as important, especially most important, at times can seem, feel, and sound extremely repetitive. And so all of us have funny stories of sermons that we have heard a million times from our earthly parents. Kind of these moments of, I know, Dad, I've heard you say this many times. And so I knew that this message and that point was going to be made. And I was with my kids this week and, and I asked them, I said, hey, what sermons do you hear all the time from me? And London was real quick and London goes, man, you are always preaching this, just this right here. I go, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, I, don't, I don't know. It means a lot of things. It means hurry it up, pick it up, tighten it up. There's a lot of up things that you're trying to teach us. But the main sermon that I hear from you, Dad, is this number, right? It's the sign language of speed it up in whatever you're doing. And so a lot of us have these messages. It would be a good icebreaker for small groups tonight. What sermons did you hear from your father and your mom or your grandparents who ever raised you? which resulted in, I know, Dad, I've heard this many times before. Hustle, right? Well, the first half of this morning's text kind of feels that way. This idea of observing the Sabbath has been a message that we've preached already. We've heard it already. And not only have we preached it and taught it and heard it, but we've actually done it many times this year in the book of Exodus. It seems somewhat repetitive. I know, go out, work, have fun, make money, gather food, do your thing for six days, and on the seventh day, pull back. Dad, I know. Church is important. I get it. We've seen this. It goes all the way back to really the illustration of the first gathering that we see in the Passover. Do you remember the Easter message where um, we don't celebrate the Passover, but they did, and it was kind of their Easter, right? And so during that time on the last, last plague, what God did said, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to take all of your firstborn, but I want you to find the perfect lamb, smear its blood outside of your home, and when I come to you in the night... Those who I see have faithfully professed their belief in me. I will pass over you. And since then, God called these people to gather and celebrate this festival that we, they call the Passover. We saw the same idea in chapter 16. When the people were on their own and they were in the wilderness and they were traveling, they became thirsty. They became hungry. And God gave them what? Meat from the air and bread from the land. And what did he say? He says, go out every single day. I'm going to provide for you. Go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Go out and gather everything you need, but don't go out on the 7th. Trust that I will give you enough. Pull back. We heard the same message. 
And then we really heard it bluntly in the Ten Commandments. What does it say just a few chapters ago? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. In it you shall do no work. So as children of the perfect Father, we find ourselves this morning going, Dad, I know. I know church is important. I get it. Hurry up, right? But this morning, I want you to see and I want you to notice that in this morning's scripture, it's much richer than just traditional advice and repetitive prodding to be at church. I want you to notice what God is doing in 23, gathering of his people, that is much more perfect parenting, raising these young believers that one day they will get older and they will be faithful to the things that they remember. I told you to highlight. It's really stuck out to me this week. In verse 11 it says, But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie follow." that the poor of your people may be able to eat, and what they leave the beasts of the fields may eat. I highlighted this. In like manner you shall do the same with your vineyards and your olive groves. So one thing that we see in Exodus 23 is that God is teaching the people about what's most important before it is even a reality in their life. So don't lose sight of the moment. We're still at Mount Sinai. I think we forget that often. The moment has not changed. We spent years and years and years in chapters 1 through 20. We're spending 10 chapters really in the same day, in the same moment. God is still on the mountain, smoke and flames. The people are still staring, still hearing. They have no vineyards. They have no olive groves. They have none of those things. And what does God say? In the moment that you do, remember what I've taught you now. So God is teaching on what's most important, knowing that these young believers are going to grow into older believers, and he wants them to continue in the things that they have been taught to be helpful. Greg and Austin read this just a few weeks ago. It's the same concept. In Proverbs 22, that verse that all of us know, this is what we see in Exodus 23. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, what? He will not depart from it. It is the same thing that we see God doing here. These individuals do not have homes. They do not have jobs. They do not have money. They surely do not have vineyards and olive groves. So what is God saying? He's saying, one day you will. One day you will have homes. One day you will have families. One day you will have jobs. One day you will have an abundance. And when you do, remember the moments in which I taught you and the times you didn't. It's the same concept in Proverbs 22. I was reading a book. Um, I told you before, I love reading, speaking, learning about all types of creative, strong leaders. And I was reading a book where one of the chapters highlighted a man by the name of Truett Cathy. Do you know who Truett Cathy is? Chick-fil-A. There you go. One person does. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. It is the founder, the owner of Chick-fil-A. And there's a lot to talk about Chick-fil-A. And you and I have all had the same moments. We have all left Chick-fil-A and we've looked at our spouse or our friends and go, I don't know how they do it. We've all said the same thing. Do what? How are they performing at such a different level and rate and quality than any other fast food service? How do they do these things? And the book talked about it. The book talked about their leadership training. The book talked about their mission statement and serving and giving back. The book talked about how they pay wages more than anyone else while taking in profits more than anyone else. It's a foreign concept that many of us have never really experienced concerning what we've seen in Chick-fil-A. But it was founded, it spoke about this, it was founded that over the last 25 years that Chick-fil-A has lost on average 20% of their yearly profit by simply not being open on Sunday. So part of the book 
had all to do with why he does this. And this wasn't a Christian book. Why does Truett Cathy, why did he choose to give away when he obviously could easily make it 20%, 20% of the annual yearly profit? He said it was simple. I love this quote. When asked why he chooses to be closed on Sunday, he says, I was raised when I was little that Sundays was for worship way before I had money. Way before I had money. Way before there was vineyards and orchards and jobs and money. Way before that, I was taught that Sundays are for worship so that when one day I did have money, I would still worship faithfully. And so he spoke about how throughout the years, how many financial gurus and advisors and accountants and CEOs and business owners and politicians, how many big people would come to Truett and go, son, listen to me, you have no idea how much money you're losing. You have no idea the millions of dollars you are flushing away by not being open on a day of the weekend when most people do not work. Do you realize how much money you are losing? And Mr. Kathy said, every time someone way smarter financially than I am came to me, prodding me to open the doors, the only thing that I could think of was not great business tactic. I could always go back to what my mom and dad said, Sundays is for worship. Sundays are for worship. He says, man, I would never want to stand in the way of anybody not being able to because my restaurant would stay open. So God tells them in Exodus 23, one day. Remember, these were new believers, newly faithful, baby in faith. One day. One day you will have homes. One day you will have families. One day you will have money. One day you will have vineyards and orchards. Remember all of the things that I taught you in the days in which you didn't. I want to encourage my parents in here today, or my grandparents. Your children, as we had so many on stage today, your children will remember time in the church. I want to encourage you. No matter how you view all of this, if we make too much of it, too little of it, what your debate and rant is, at the end of the day, I don't care where you stand, your children will remember their time in the church. They will remember getting ready. They will remember waking up and barely getting out of the door with halfway good attitudes. They will remember their parents nudging them, telling them to sing. They will remember their Sunday school teachers. They will remember mom and dad sitting in here. As Brother Hunter says, highlight. They will remember mom and dad sitting with their Bibles open. These are investments. These are investments. Because hang on my word. Hang on my word. One day, those little kids will get older. And one day... If God chooses and blesses, maybe those little kids will have their own little kids. And they're going to remember. And what we pray in those faithful investments is that their memories of faith turn into faithful decisions. Son, one day you're going to have your own kids. Son, one day you're going to have your own family. One day you're going to have your own jobs and you're going to have your own home and you're going to have your own temptations and you're going to have your own people prodding you to do other things. All I could go back to is my family saying Sundays are for worship. God had this in mind in Exodus 23. This is why we were free. This is what God had in mind when he gave us Exodus 23. What we are going to read in what sounds repetitive is most important and essential. Is that we focus our eyes on our past, our history, our salvation, and it never ends. 
we keep running and keep hearing the message that is essential for our faith to continue. I love this. Look at Exodus 23, verses 14, and then I'm going to have you flip real quickly. I think this is amazing. In chapter and verse 14, it says this. Three times, this is what God is calling them to. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. Now flip real quickly, I just want you to see it, to 5-1. Especially for my folks that have been here every single week, and you have heard Exodus, and you have grown in Exodus, and you have really, really understood the story. I want to press rewind, and I want you to see this beautiful thing. It really blew my mind this week, because I didn't really see it before I started studying. Look at 5-1. As you flip, let me read it again. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. That's what God is gathering his people for, right? Look at 5, 1 and 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. Do you remember Pharaoh? You remember him? Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a what? Some of your Bibles say festival, I've just learned, and some of your Bibles says feast. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And the Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Do you all remember this moment, church? I do not know this, Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And so we fast forward all the way back to Exodus 23. Pharaoh and his people are long gone. These people are free. They are seeing God. They are hearing his voice. And what do they say? Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. Remember the fulfillment of God's grand purpose in Exodus. God freed his people for worship. He freed his people for his glory. The same applies to you and I today. God freed us for this moment. What moment, Hunter? This moment. Being faithful and worshiping and praising and making much of his name. He freed us for this. From Genesis to 2022, God saves his people for his glory, which is always our good, and for the worship of his people. Now, during this time, during this time, the people were called to three major feats of worship. I want to keep going. I'm going to tie my shoe because I know I'm going to trip. And then, Axel, you are going to have to finish up the service. There we go. That was on my mind too long. <clears throat> During this time, the people were called to three major feasts of worship. First, we see the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Second, the Feast of the Harvest. And third, the Feast of the Ingathering. And so the first came, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. It came in the springtime. It was early in the year. And this feast was really a remembrance of their salvation. It was really this almost solemn time of really realizing and sitting in sin and what God has done and how they are not worthy and really repent. It was all about that, right? It was really remembering their slavery. It was connected to the Passover. And so remember that message many months ago about the unleavened bread, and what they would do during the Passover is they would celebrate the Passover and then have seven days of this feast. And they would really fast during this time, all seven days of in prayer. And the only thing that they would eat was unleavened bread. Do you remember why? Because it really went back and it was a reenactment of their time in Exodus during the Passover, the first one. When God's word says God delivered them so quickly that the bread didn't even have time to rise. Do you remember that verse? And so what they would do is, kind of like our Lord's Supper, is they would come together and that's all they would eat because as they were starving and in need and they were fasting and they were eating this bread like we do our juice and cracker, it would all remind us of our past, which really propels our future. It was all connected to the Passover. It was our Good Friday and Easter celebration. So I want you to think, no matter what year we're in, no matter what's happening, what time of the month it is, whenever Easter comes, we always look back and we celebrate the same thing. And what is that? The crucifixion, the resurrection. And we come together and the story doesn't change, nor should it ever. So we come back and we all do the same thing. What? 
man, reenact and sing songs and speak of and pray through the same story. That's the Easter story. So this God, the perfect father, tells these young children, the Israelites, and says, your future depends on your remembrance of the past. If you're a note taker, because you and I are the same light, our future depends on our remembrance of the past. The second feast came a few months later than the Passover, early summer, and that was called the Feast of the Harvest. Look at verse 16. It says, In the Feast of the Harvest, the first fruits of your labors in which you have sown in the field. So this is also known historically as the Feast of the First Fruits. And so this, as I said, was perfectly timed. So what the people would do, they've already celebrated Passover, they've already uh, celebrated the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and now months later into the harvest, right when things are starting to sprout and fruits were being shown, God called these people to stop time, come in, it was seven days once again, and to bring their first and their best of the harvest in which they believed God provided. And so they would bring their first and their best And it was this remembering, this acknowledgement that God has and God continues and is providing for their life. So through this, what was God showing the people? That God was creating in these young believers a sense of dependency. So God gave them this moment of being able to settle. He's given them freedom. And what they would eat during this time was not unleavened bread, but leavened bread. He said, listen, I have given you freedom. Now give faithfully in the provisions that I will bless you with. Giving was always connected to worship, dependency, and the remembrance of salvation. And so for today... I was thinking about this as a pastor and a man and and someone getting a little older in the faith that this is a foreign idea even in the church today concerning faithful giving. Faithful giving in even the church and Christian circles um, is almost backwards concerning this concept that we read in Exodus 23. Our culture very much struggles with this, especially this idea of first and best. If anything, it's somewhat backwards. And what most of us believe today, unlike what God is teaching them in Exodus 23, we say, God, if you give us plenty, we will give you what we have left over, right? That's kind of the message. That's how most of us live. God, give me a plate full of the best, and I will give you my leftovers, right? Or we say that it's on our own terms. God, don't tell me when or how. I will give if... I like the pastor, or I agree with what the church is doing, or I feel that this is best for me. Depends on what type of year. Do we have vacation coming up? How far is Christmas? What do I have? What do I All those kind of things. I will give my leftovers and how I choose. And so one thing that I have seen in so many of us, and even what I experienced being young in faith, is that the challenge is not this sense of greediness in our heart. Most of our challenge with giving God our first and best, as we are called to do, is that we were not taught this concept and act of faith when we were younger. And that is what we see in Exodus 23. God wanted better for his children. He wanted a sense of dependency. He wanted a sense of faith. So he says, before you get in the full fledge of your farming, bring your first and best to me because faith is required for blessings. And so I was thinking, if if I sat down with a young family, which, man, I love you young families. If I sat down with young families and said, I want to talk to my members about giving. How so, Hunter? Your first and best. It would be such a foreign concept that most of you would be scared away. I might not see you again. That's why we choose not to talk about it, right? And why? Why? Why is it so uncomfortable? Why is it so challenging? Why does it rub us the wrong way? Do you know why? Because you're already maxed out. You weren't weren't taught faithful giving. 
from our earthly families. And by the time you get 25 and 30 and 35 and I get a hold of you, you're already spent. And what do you say? Pastor, my house got my best. My car got my best. My vacations got my best. My kids got my best. I got my best. I I got nothing left for you. Why? Because I was never taught this when I was younger. And God the Father is looking at these people before they had jobs, before they had cars, before they had homes, before they had destined, before they had Christmas. And he says, hey, listen, one day you're going to have all of these things and I don't want you to drown in them. You see it? This is not just perfect prodding. This is perfect parenting. I don't want you to drown in the blessings that are coming your way. I want to create in you a sense of faithful dependency that before everything sprouts, give over your first and best. Now watch God do work. That's what God was doing. This was not repetitive advice of sermons that you've heard many times. This is perfect parenting. God calls them to that. Why? Because he cares for them. He wants them to be in life of blessings, not drowning in abundance. We see this. Just listen to the words in Luke 16. We kind of see it from Jesus' mouth and a reality that a lot of us will face. It says, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you trust in the true riches? This is something that I've said so many times, and I know it's harsh, and I know it rubs you the wrong way, but please hear me. So many of you will struggle your entire existence financially because you refuse to be faithful in the little. There's no better way to say what I just said. And this is what I've learned as we're all uncomfortable. This is what I've learned. You know who hates giving messages? People who don't give. You know who loves them? People who give, right? And so I used to feel bad, like, oh, man, people aren't going to like this and it's going to rub them wrong. I might not ever see them again. Those are the people who probably need to hear what I'm saying. God blesses. God rewards faith. It's a means of our worship. He does not want us to drown. He does not want us to drown in all of the things that are coming, the olive groves and the orchards and the jobs and the families and the times and all of the things that are coming. He says, place me first. It is not a repetitive sermon. I know, Dad, it's perfect parenting. It's perfect parenting. Right now, for my adults that have been given children... We need to be teaching our children now not to drown in the money that they have. What does God's word say? Man, if you can't be faithful in the little, why would I ever think you're going to be faithful with much? We need to be teaching our young people now, be faithful. So when we go back in time, all the way back to Exodus, what is God doing in this callings of the gathering? He is calling the people to remember their salvation. In the feast of the harvest, he calls them now to be faithful with their lives. He says, I'm calling you to be focused on your past and remembrance and your salvation to worship God, then he calls them in the midst of the harvest to be faithful in dependency with what he has given you. Lastly, we see the feast of the ingathering. Look at verses 16. Lastly, it says, and we'll keep reading, we're going to read the second one and then go right into the third one. And the feast of the harvest and the first fruits of the labors which you have sown in the field. And then third, in the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. And so what we see in this feast, 
This was at the end of the harvest. And so at the beginning of the year, all of their attention was on their salvation, the Passover, their history. As the year gets started, God calls them to this gathering, come together, worship, glorify God, and be faithful and watch me provide. Now the last gathering, the gathering of the end gathering was at the end of the harvest. It was around their Thanksgiving time and they would all come together and they would have this seven-day feast of all coming and speaking about how God provided in their life in every way. It was literally their Thanksgiving. This was a feast. David, this was a festival. They would go out. I was reading all of these historical stories and it also talks about it in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy about these men and women who would go out and they would take their kids and their families and they would all tell stories that their father told them and their fathers told them and their fathers told them about how God provided. The year starts with focus of remembrance goes into faithful dependency, and it ends in celebration. Do you see the Lord's Supper? That is our Lord's Supper. Focused on our salvation, called to a faithful dependency, and we close in a celebration of God's provisions. That is the Lord's Supper. Do you you see? Do you see what he's doing? But how many of us come in when it's the Lord's Supper and we go, okay, what are we doing? Is he going to preach for a little while or is this going to be a long one? I've had this juice before. I've eaten the bad bread before. It's the same repetitive message. It's not repetitive advice. Write it up here. It's perfect parenting. God, the perfect father, wanted the best for his children. That is what God is teaching them here. The year started with the unleavened bread. In the middle, it was a call to faith, and the ended in celebration. Look at 17 through 19. It says, Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with the leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's a historical reference to what pagans were doing that worshipped other gods. And so listen to me, church, as we go into our Lord's Supper. Today... Our salvation story has changed, but God calls us to the same gathering purposes. Do you hear that? Hear me there? Our salvation story has changed, but God calls us to the same gathering purposes. Our salvation story has changed in the way that we don't look back on the exodus out of slavery of Egypt. We look back of the sin nature that we have and the Christ who gave his life for you and I to see glory. Our salvation story has changed as we feast our eyes on the cross. We feast our eyes on the life. We feast our eyes on the death. We feast our eyes on the resurrection. That is our salvation story. But God calls us to the same purpose of the gathering. To remember our future depends on our remembrance. If you hear one thing today, my future, my child's Future, this church's future depends on my remembrance. My remembrance of what? My salvation. God calls us to worship. It's why you were created. So protect the time in which God called us to. Protect the time that God has called us to. God calls us to remembrance. The further that you and I drift from our exodus, the more dangerous and at risk your life is. The more you drift your focus and your attention from the cross in Jesus Christ and hearing of the gospel, the more distracted and dangerous and at risk your life is. 
Jesus is our perfect lamb, and the resurrection was our Red Sea. And so I was thinking about, from an earthly standpoint, our children in this country, most of them have been given so much that it's hard to even be appreciative, right? And so as you guys that are parents or grandparents, have your children ever said anything um, that was just kind of ungrateful in tone? And he was like, oh, really, chicken? You know, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, where did I go wrong? Like, how are you upset with pizza? How are you upset with, st-? like, you know, have they ever said anything? And you thought, man, you're so ungrateful. Right, parent? Well, listen to me. Your children um, are not wicked. The truth is your children have just drifted from the cost of what the things that they have mean. And so children have two choices, okay? And you and I are the same way as believers. And that is a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of spoiled. And so for you and I, you and I have been given so much. You and I have been blessed in so many different ways. But for me, you and I, to be thankful and grateful and live a life of appreciation, we have to focus our attention on the price. We have to focus our attention on the cost. Our future depends on it. And so every single week, we need to hear the same repetitive, perfect parenting message, and that is Jesus is everything. Everything that you have is because Jesus has given it or he's allowed you to have it. And that is a message that never needs to get old in your life. So go, Hunter, the Lord's Supper, I've heard it before. You never need to stop hearing it. And in that, God calls us to continue to live a life of faith and obedience and dependency. Be faithful. Still experience the provisions of God. And so we're going to call my... My praise team up here, I want you to see our Lord's Supper, our Exodus. Hey, London, can you hand me my Lord's Supper there, brother? Thank you. <clears throat> As my praise team gets up here, a lot of people were talking about this fancy uh, contraption we have here. And so I was with my family, and we took a few days to have some fun together, and we were kind of up north. And so um, I told my wife, I said, hey, I don't have time to to shoot to Jackson to, to get the Lord's Supper supplies. And I said, well, I'll just get it while we're out of town. And so to my surprise, um, there is really no Christian bookstores um, a lot up north near Cincinnati. I couldn't find one in like a two-hour radius. And so we're driving home, and we find this small little space that had sold supplies and Bibles and whatnot. I came in there, and she gave me these, and I was like, wow, these are nifty. A lot of people are going to have something to say about it. And so I went, I went outside, and it was like a drug deal. She gave them to me in a bag, and I was like, okay, yeah. And so I came outside, and uh, I showed my wife, I go, look at these things. And we were in the car. She said, hey, you sure that's grape juice? And I was like, either, either this is going to be like a fascinating Lord's Supper or a rememberable one. Either way, this might be the only time you get these nifty things, so save it if you like it. And so... I told you as we started, and you and I most likely have have had a Lord's Supper many times in our life, right? But I wanted you to see the Lord's Supper in a deeper perspective. We've mostly, maybe not all of you, a lot of you have partook in this before. And so I want you to see it through the eyes of our men and women who walk before us. The feast and the gatherings that God called them to if it was the Passover or if it was the bread and the, the meat that was given, if it was through the Ten Commandments, if it was these gatherings that he had, I want you to see it in that way. This is greater than just repetitive advice. This is perfect parenting. And so this is our Exodus that we read. This is our Lord's Supper. I told you to put a tassel. Look at Luke 22. This is the story that you and I are called to fixate our minds on. So in the New Testament, the men and women were still celebrating the Passover. They were still pointing back to Moses, right? And so Jesus had not died, yet this is out of Jesus' mouth. This is really where the baton is passed. It was the Passover, and now it's turning into the Lord's Supper. The salvation story is changing, right? So look at Luke 22, verse 14. 
When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this is what I encourage you to do. In the same way the scripture does. Our praise team is going to bless us in song here. And I really encourage you to take a moment and pray. Saved, we still are in need of repentance. We still are burdened by sin. And God calls us to this space of worshiping through forgiveness. God, forgive me. I have this in my life. I know I have not been faithful. I know I have these demons in which others don't know about. Take them from me. I give them to me. Turn from your sin. Sprint to the forgiver. Sprint to the cross. And so as we go into song here, I encourage all those to pray for forgiveness in the sins of your life.
pray for us, brother. As far as we take the element in remembrance of the broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus on the cross, which again God says in it, Isaiah that it pleased the Lord to crush him because it saved many. We praise you, Jesus, as we take. It continues in Luke 22, in verses 20. It says, Likewise, he took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, in which is shed for you. And so one thing that we do in this church, and if you're new to it, there's two words that we really um, focus on when it comes to the Lord's Supper, and that is repentance and then also celebration. And so that word celebration means we come to the Lord in this idea that we are sinners, that we are broken, that we are unworthy. There is nothing that we can do. It does not matter our last name or how much you give or how much you serve. None of us are worthy of God's grace and perfection, but he still chose to give it. And so in that, when we come to the Lord broken and undeserving, the only one who forgives is who? The one who, God, that's right, God. The one we have come to. And so what do we do as believers? We don't walk out of here solemn. No, we walk out of here in celebration that our Father loves us, that our Father is that perfect parent, that that Father wants the best for us. So as we go into our last song, I want you praying once again, God, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your word. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you once again. Or as we go into prayer and song, Lord, I want to thank you personally for my life. Lord, there is nothing, nothing Hunter Jones could ever do to be worthy of your son. There is nothing that I could do to be worthy for your cross, but you still chose to save me. So, Lord, in that, there is no greater message, no matter how many times we hear it. There is nothing greater that the church could hear than our exodus, and that is what you have accomplished for us. In your precious name, the church says, amen. All right, church, as we're going to celebrate, we're going to stand. Let's all stand. We're going to sing this song together. The best song we could think of to celebrate our Lord and Savior is My Jesus. We're going to sing that this morning. So y'all sing out.
parenting. You know, I was thinking about my own life, just, just right here, just singing this song. I was just thinking about the message, and I was reflecting on my own life, and I was saying, God, I was thinking to myself, as I was thinking about the Israelites, God has done the same thing in my life, same in yours. God has perfectly parented me. God has not called me to a life of worldly prosperity. Hunter, you give, you serve, and I'll double your blessing. He has not called me to that, but there is fulfillment in being faithful and blessings in that life. And God has called me from my infancy to this. There have been many times that Hunter Jones has chosen different routes. And I have not lived in the fulfillment of those blessings. And I can see what God is doing in the Israelites' life. I can see it in my life. But this is what we celebrate. That God is a perfect father. Amen? He doesn't shut the door or lock the door. He meets us in the field. He cooks the fatty calf. He celebrates. God, the perfect father through Christ, champions faith. He calls us to faith. He does not give up on our lives. That is why we celebrate. And so in remembrance, in remembrance the blood that was shed, remembrance of grace that does not run out, the remembrance of mercy that we have never experienced outside of Jesus Christ for his cross, his life, his death, his grace and mercy, we partake in the juice. We're going to close out. Hey, Grant, come and pray us out. Grant's going to pray us out. And if you have any questions about small group, um, do, do me a favor. We haven't done this very often. This is Brent Dillahunty. Brent, raise your hand at everybody. Um, Brad, raise your hand at everybody. Clay, raise your hand at everybody. And then, and then I do a group as well. If you are not involved in small group, it's a wonderful time, and it doesn't hurt that it's just wonderful eating with it, okay? And so as we talk about our kids remembering, and I wasn't raised like that. I don't remember, um, let alone being in the church, I don't remember breaking bread and living life with believers. And so I watch our kids just live life with one another and love one another, people of all ages. And so if you're not involved in small group, that is really my plea for you. All those guys who raised their hand, they would love to talk to you about being a part of small group. So catch them in the lobby or find a friend. I'm sure they can point you in the right direction. But that's tonight. Let's bow our heads and Grant's going to pray us out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and uh, thank you for allowing everyone to come, out, come this morning and uh, pray for everyone to have safe travels home. And thank you for allowing Brother Hunter to be here this morning and preach his wonderful message this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.